1: This is Issues 2020. I'm Steve McIntosh. Our guest is Sedgwick County District Attorney Mark Bennett. Nice Good. to have you with us again. Good morning. Welcome to Issues 2020. Thank you. You've held your current post, I believe, since January of 2013. That's correct. How do you like the job so far? <laughs>
0: well, I, I guess I like it okay. It's, uh, I'm on my second term, and, and I'm just dumb enough to try to do it one more time at least. That's
1: so, you know. and, you, and you, for years, you worked in the, with the DA's office.
0: I did. I was at the DA's office from, uh, started in this office, I should say, in 97. I uh, worked in a smaller office in Junction City and the prosecutor's office up there for a few years before I came back to Wichita. So this is, let's see, about nine, uh, 25 years of doing this kind of work. So
1: are you from here?
0: I am. Grew up in Sedgwick County.
1: In Sedgwick County. Yeah. And where would you get your schooling?
0: I went to Goddard High School. Goddard. Goddard out west, and then I went to K-State and then on to Washburn for, for um, uh, law
1: school. Washburn. All yeah. right. Uh, Just give us an idea of the scope of your responsibilities. How many people work for the DA's office?
0: Sure. It's a bigger operation, I think, than people probably realize. We have 55 lawyers who work for me. Uh, We have about 70 support staff at any given time. There's some part-timers, too. So all told, we're usually running between 130 and 140 people. The responsibilities of the DA's office are, again, a little more uh, encompassing, I think, again, than the average person realizes. We, we obviously do the criminal cases, so that's all the adult, anyone over 18 who commits a crime is, is uh, a part of our criminal case. Then we have an appellate division who handles all the appeals that come from all those criminal cases because everybody who uh, is convicted has a right to appeal. Uh, and, and with certain, uh, obviously, some nuances to that. But we have a juvenile offender uh, division. And we have a child in need of care division for the children who are uh, victims of sexual, or physical abuse, uh, neglect, that sort of thing. Uh, and then we have a traffic division because people go out and get traffic tickets out in the unincorporated areas of the county that, that the county or that rather the city municipal court won't ha- doesn't handle. And then the final uh, thing is we have a care and treatment. Uh, the, uh, responsibilities, and that's I think one that is probably not in the norm for people. But uh, those are folks who are a danger to themselves or others, and they have to be hospitalized until they um, can can uh, be stabilized to the point that they're no longer a danger. And so, you,
1: yeah, that's a lot of responsibility. That's can you of use stuff more help?
0: Uh, always. In fact, uh, <laughs> yeah, we we the the number of cases and the and the efficiencies with which we process those cases of. It made it harder and harder over the years. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, so we do need some, we'll probably need some extra help uh, over the next couple of years, yes.
1: People keep doing crime then, huh? Yeah. It and, just won't stop for something. Well,
0: there's something like that, yeah. <laughs> that, that seems to be an issue everywhere you go.
1: Now, you're the chairman of the Kansas Criminal Justice Reform Commission. That's correct. I guess you were appointed in in August, maybe? That's right. What, what exactly is that?
0: So last year, well, the last several years, there have been calls in Kansas, and as there have been in other places for... Uh, reform efforts in the criminal justice system, and the legislature in the 2019 session decided that rather than just take these things up as they come in and and you know have a committee meeting here and there and see if they can make the you know sort of an uh, ad hoc approach to this, maybe it was time to put a commission together uh, and bring stakeholders from around the, the state uh, that represent all of the various um, uh, entities and professions that have a role in criminal justice. And try to come up with something that's a little more holistic, something that has a larger, you know, maybe thirty five thousand foot view of this so that we don't just do things at, at random but try to do something that, that fits together better. And so uh, the commission was was settled or was appointed rather. I was the representative from the DA's association. Uh, we have a sheriff, we have a chief of police, but we also have defense attorneys and we have professors from KU and and uh, we have member representatives of, of the Department of Corrections and the Sentencing Commission and, and you know, judges and magistrate judges from large and small areas. So, anyway, it's a cross section of, of folks from around the state, and we were t- to be to, we we're given two tasks. One was by December first of this past year, twenty nineteen, give an interim report, and then the second is obviously to have a much larger report due at the end of this year. And so, I um, was appointed as chair of this, and the first order of business was we wanted to try to find some. We ended up calling it low-hanging fruit, but just things that were not all that complicated or not all that controversial but that could make a substantive impact. And so we recommended several bills for this session, several of which have already been heard, and a couple of them are moving on. There's turnaround, I think, is this week up there. And so there's several bills that uh, came out of the commission. Um, I, can kind of, I can give you some, kind of a, an overview of some of those if you'd like. Uh, one of the first is uh, a Bill t- House Bill 2708, which is a bill on diversion. And so um, I'll back that up a little bit and unpack that. Diversion is when, when someone is arrested for a crime, they think of it, they literally come to the courthouse, whether uh, a sheriff brings them or they arrive on a summons on their own. And they <clears throat> uh, uh, come into the criminal justice system, have a first appearance. Judge at that point has a, um, you know, make, make sure they have a lawyer, all that sort of stuff. And then we set it for a hearing. The there are there's an opportunity in our law to have people diverted away from a criminal conviction, and you go into a diversion, which is essentially a pre-conviction probation. And normally those are run through the county or district attorney's office. Um, but you know, I'm not I don't have uh, psychologists and and drug counselors that work for me. I have you know, staff, support staff, and so we try to divert people uh, and try to put people on diversion. But it's it's tough to do, you know, folks with profound drug and alcohol issues or mental health issues, which has a lot to do with what's driving crime. So the idea was let's try to expand the availability of diversion, not only in offices like mine, but also in offices around the state where there are lots of, uh, of prosecutors' offices who are very small operators. I think 80, 85 DAs, county attorneys in the state are one man, one woman shows, Okay, many of whom are part-time. So they do not have the support to run a big diversion. So this bill contemplated allowing us to sign a MOU and a Memorandum of Understanding where we would have our standard probation officers uh, supervise folks. The idea is to expand the availability of diversion statewide, and uh, and that's gotten some positive response. It was it passed out of committee Monday and went to the House floor this week sometimes. So that's just one example or half a dozen more uh, that give you an idea of things we're trying to do to improve the criminal justice system.
1: You're just trying to make it a little more fair, I guess. And, and- Maybe do something about the overwhelming number of people coming through your system.
0: Yeah, we, do, we have done. I think people would be surprised if they went back and looked historically. Kansas has really done quite a lot over the last 20 years in terms of reform, uh, and to the point that I, it would be easy. I think you could say that we have given people lots and lots of opportunities to avoid going to the penitentiary, to avoid the consequences. That what we have not done a very good job of, and what we're, which we're wrestling with now, is Giving people the tools to take advantage of those 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 opportunities. So yes, I'll put you on probation. I'll give you half a dozen ex, you know chances of probation. But if you if you don't have access to drug treatment and that's really your problem, you're not going to be successful. Whether I give you 15 chances or five or 50, um, you need access to treatment. And those are those are the kind of things we're wrestling around. Well, let's right talk now. about
1: that and zero in on mental health. Because sure. You and I have talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it with the sheriff, the police chief, and. and this, the whole thing is if you know you're using a uh, uh, Sedgwick County you're using a jail as a place to house people who really have mental issues, drug sure. issues, and they that's not the best place them to no, be. No, not it, at all. And I would say and too, and it puts a burden on you guys. Sure, too, you know,
0: and you know that's really something we're wrestling with as a nation. Uh, the largest, the three largest uh, mental health facilities in the United States are Cook County Jail, Rikers Island, and L.A. County Jail. So. Um, you know, this is not unique to Sedgwick County, and I'm certainly not making light of it, but we are all wrestling with this. Uh, this dates back to issues that started actually during the Kennedy administration and how they uh, set aside money for mental health and taking, you know, <clears throat> I could go into this for, with some detail. But the bottom line is we have the state model has been for years to have these large state hospitals. Yeah. In Kansas, it's Larned uh, out in Pawnee County and then Osawatomie up in Miami County. And that's great, but they're not very close to – Oswald is a little – it's much closer to Kansas City. But Larned is not close to any uh, major population center. And so, you know, it's difficult. You send people out there for treatment. They're far away from their families. They come back. They get back in the same environment. Do they have access to treatment? Do they have a, you know, follow-up care? Do they have a caseworker? Uh, and trying to keep people from slipping through the cracks has been difficult. And so – you know, these are the kind of things that we have to wrestle with as a, as a society. And when folks, you know, are off their meds and, and don't have access to to, to care, uh, you know, they may self-medicate. And when they self-medicate, they're not able to go to work. And when they're not able to go to work, things just begin to fall apart
1: and unravel in their lives. Well, and take it down to the street Yeah. where a police officer or a sheriff's officer is confronted by somebody like that. Yeah. And it seems like the wheels can come off in a her- in a hurry. They do. If they yeah. don't know what they're dealing with.
0: That's right. And even if they do, it's still yeah. difficult. And even if, the, if there's no harm comes to anybody, but they're still processed in and out and in and out of the system. We, we had a, a study Wichita State did recently called from the Hugo School of Public Policy over there at Wichita State. It was called the High Utilizer Study. And they took a look at folks who were in and out of Ascension, via Christie. So we're talking St. Francis, St. Joe. I suppose St. Teresa's to some extent, although it's so far out west, I don't think that was impacted as much. But St. Francis, St. Joe, uh, ComCare, so the county mental health organization, and then an organization called SACS, the Substance Abuse Center of Kansas, much smaller than the others. but And they identified about 550 people, roughly, who uh, were called high-utilized, people who were in and out of those systems over and over and over again over the course of four years. And those 550-ish people uh, over the course of five years – collectively cost $56 million in those systems. And you think, you know, we could have paid somebody 50 grand a year to watch, you know, to hire fifty, what 500 people to watch them and pay them a salary, just follow them around and keep them out of trouble. and would have been more cost efficient than what we were doing. So, there's, you know, these are things we need to look well,
1: at. Well, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a dollars and cents at the end yeah. of the day. But uh, you also have been a proponent, I think, have you not, for uh, opening some sort of a mental health facility here? in our area yeah, we you know ideally you, say you got the one northeast you got one west yeah. and here we are in the middle yeah right?
0: we we really do need a regional approach to mental health uh, accessibility so uh, ideally uh, i'd love to have you know maybe six across the state uh, larned and oswatomie I mean, could serve the the regions they're in you know i'd love to see one down in pittsburgh salina hayes you know maybe the one at larned could serve southwest kansas uh, and one in Wichita. Now, is that realistically going to happen? I, I, you know, there are li- there are limitations to resources, but at the very least, we need more, uh, more of a regional-based approach. So, something in the metro Sedgwick County, South Central Kansas area uh, would be very, uh, very helpful. I mean, just on a, on a smaller scale or on a different scale, I should say, uh, juveniles um, have there's, there was not a there was only I think 14 beds. For juvenile uh, kid, kids who, who have mental health issues mm-hmm. in Sedgwick County. Fourteen. Uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it was in, you know, thank God for St. Joe, they were doing it and doing doing good work over there. But it was just not much for a community of half a million in a metro area of, you know, pushing what, six hundred thousand plus. Mm-hmm. So KVC, an organization, uh, came into town and put in a mental health facility, brought in fifty some odd beds. And part of the their analysis, they had one in Kansas City and had one in Hayes, their facility for juveniles. But they they took a look and realized over 700 kids were coming out of this area of the state every year going, and being taken to Kansas City to that facility, and they realized you know, they're getting overwhelmed just with South Central Kansas kids. So, putting by putting a hospital down here, they're able to run more efficiently, serve more kids, and and not turn anybody away. So, I, again, it's that, as you pointed out rightly, it's a dollars and cents analysis. You know, how, we are spending money on these things. The yeah. question is, how do you want to spend it? You want to spend it more efficiently? On ways that might
1: actually improve things, or are we just going to continue to throw good money after bad? You're listening to Issues 2020 on the Intercom Radio Stations, and our guest is Sedgwick County District Attorney Mark Bennett. And uh, I understand that you've been, uh, pe- folks have been contacting your office about uh, animal abuse. Yeah, is this um, just regular dogs and cats? or Is also horses and oh, there, yeah. I mean, there's just any just everything, things,
0: right? anything that you know, any domesticated animal that could be uh, you know somebody's pet or, or, or you know live on their property uh, occasionally you'll hear these sad stories where somebody comes along and does something uh, hurtful to another person's domesticated animal uh, there was a recent story about a woman whose horse had been I believe shot uh, from some you know passing car or something and, and then there's also people, though, who hurt their own animals and, uh, you know, leave them, dump them someplace where they're found with one or more various injuries or even, even worse yet, dead. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we get complaints about, because people get very upset about those sort of situations, obviously, and the people ask sometimes, there was a recent situation, I can't comment on specifics of a, of a particular case, but uh, a woman was accused of, of having left her dog uh, Abandoned it in a particular area and had not fed it for some period of time. So um, we charged the case, and there was a lot of outcry that the case was not appropriately charged. People couldn't understand why we didn't charge a felony. Yeah. yeah. And um, if you look at the statute, the animal abuse statute, um, it says you know to, to to torture an animal or kill an animal like uh, can be a felony. And so people thought, well, not not feeding them and not and, and abandoning them that's torture. Uh, unfortunately, if you read further down in the statute, or unfortunately or unfortunately, it's just the way it is, uh, the statute says to abandon an animal or to withhold food or water, those are misdemeanors. And so you have to charge the specific charge that is set forth by the facts. And so, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, you walk into a bank and write a check, uh, if it's your check and you don't have enough money to, to, to actually you know, take care of it, uh, you could be charged with writing a bad check. Uh, but if you write, walk in the door and write my name on your check. It's a forgery. It's the same basic act. You take a pen, you take a check, you write on it. Uh, and so you would, of course, want to be charged with a, with a bad check instead of a forgery, because forgery is a felony. But you charge the most specific crime. And so uh, that's just an example of, of, of how that works. But uh, we're required to follow the statute. And I'd encourage people, when they get upset by these things, look up the statute. You know, these things aren't that complicated to read. Uh, and if you you know Kansas statute on animal abuse, you'll Google and things like that, or make 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 it so much easier now to find those sorts of things. So I would encourage folks who are upset to to look at the statutes, read them yourselves, and if you still have questions, then you know send the email or make the call.
1: Well, and, and I understand the people's sensitivity sure. to the oh, yeah. to the abuse of animals, but I when you're in the news business and we're getting it seems more and more cases of the abuse of children and the ugly things that are going on with uh. these kids. It, yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty tough, but God, it's starting <laughs> to get to me a little bit. Uh, it's, yeah, there's, yeah. wow. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, when
0: children are abused, I think it's a little bit of the canary in the coal mine in terms of, of a reflection on what's going on in society. Um, when we have higher numbers of child needed care cases, you know, there's something going on in, the, in, in our town or in our community, in our region, our our st- our country. When economy turn, takes a downturn, when folks aren't working, when tight, you know, finances are tight. People do, you know, turn to other things. They'll self-medicate with alcohol and drugs uh, because they're, you know, they're miserable. Uh, There's higher incidence of violence. There's higher incidence of domestic violence within the home, and the kids are caught in the middle, and, you know, just it sort of perpetuates itself. So many cases of late that we've seen that have terrible violence was done to children. One common denominator we've seen is methamphetamine. Uh, Some of the more uh, profound, uh, horrible situations that— some of the more violent cases we've seen in this community in the last two, three years— the common thread throughout is the abuse of methamphetamine, whether it was the death of Evan Brewer or the most recent case, um, uh, d- death of Mickey Davis, the woman uh, who was the victim of a decapitation. Um, these are cases that, that methamphetamine is very much uh, in, in implicit in, in what took place. So um, yeah, these, these are issues we de- we deal with in law enforcement, the court
1: system, and, and uh Uh, Try to to do our best to attend to. Let's uh, let's back up just a little bit. I want to talk about uh, about people you have incarcerated, not only in Sedgwick County, but prisons and whatnot. Sure. An interesting thing is that there are people in there who are getting older. Yeah. And uh, their health is gone, you know, I'm getting older, and I know there are certain issues I have. Sure. But it gets to be pretty expensive when you get old and just the wheels start coming off. Yeah. And you've got those people, and you've got to treat them.
0: Department of Corrections has asked for a change to the law that would allow for a uh, early release for a geriatric population when somebody gets to a certain stage. They're a de- dementia patient, uh, or they've got um, you know something that would be um, – that would require treatment in a medical facility. That's really beyond the, the what's well, not beyond the ability of DOC to, to handle, but it becomes cost prohibitive when you have to take someone to a hospital, have guards stand by them twenty four hours a day, seven days a week until they're out. Uh, and oh, by the way, who pitfoots the bill for their hospitalization? The DOC does because they're in the guys the guys in their custody. Right. So that's a that's a discussion that's back to that criminal reform uh, commission that we were talking about earlier. Um, how do we attend to things like that and how do you deal with that that aging population because you know baby boomers are getting older and uh, they unfortunately there's plenty of them who've committed crimes and are due in time for their various crimes so how does the Department of Corrections uh, adequately attend to their care uh, while they're incarcerated uh, in, in a reasonable and also fiscally responsible manner?
1: Tell us what's what's going
0: on in the area of human trafficking uh, it's you know the it's an interesting time, I think, in, that, in law enforcement's perspective. Uh, for a long time, the Internet was the place where you found uh, those kinds of crimes being perpetrated. Uh, or I should say that's where the marketplace was for it. Um, the Backpage was one of the most uh, popular uh, web services that, that facilitated that sort of behavior. Uh, the federal government got involved, FTC and others, and legislation was passed in Congress and pressure, frankly, was put on Backpage. And they withdrew or, or no longer allow the escort pages and the um, pages that facilitated that, which is great. So it really um, put a damper, I think, on the accessibility of human trafficking uh, to the general public. The downside is, um, downside. I'm not sure what it is, we're not sure what it is yet, but it's harder now to find where it's taking place for law enforcement. Now, I guess there's a good upside to that. If it's harder for the cops to figure out where girls are being sold, one would think it's harder for the average Joe, you know, on the street looking it up to be a to be a uh, John mm-hmm. uh, to find them as well. But it has but this law enforcement's attention has driven it further in, underground. Is, is really what I'm getting at, and so uh, we're not seeing the numbers in terms of arrests, in terms of cases being made that we had seen a few years ago. Um, but at the same time, the police are intrepid, and they'll keep working these cases. And as they understand where – I mean, it's not going away. Um, the, the, the as long as the, the market's there for it, someone will, will do it. Um, but we're, the police are going to continue to work those cases and, and take a deeper dive into finding how to how to stop
1: it. But I'm just – and not just uh, talking about that that sort of thing, but the social media – and the impact on our kids, and for my case, my grandchildren. Sure. What are you? What are parents supposed to sell those kids? What? Are they, I, 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 yeah. I know you can't tell them what to do, but well, but first
0: order business is you need to pay pay some attention to what your
1: kids real are doing. close, yeah. right, right.
0: Um, you know, until your kids leave your, your the house, there's there is no. Let's put it this way: uh, you are certainly within your rights to take your kid's phone and take a look at it and go. I want to. Ta- I want to. See everything you're doing, whether it's Instagram or Face, you know, Facebook. Most of kids laugh if you say Facebook. That's a, that's a that's what their folks and grandparents do. But Instagram, Snapchat, my TikTok, granddaughters
1: were telling me that last night. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know,
0: that's the geriatric uh, uh, social media page anymore. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. but you have a right to know what your kids are doing, who's talking to them, um, and. It's difficult, but, but kids do everything everything online now, their lives center around their phones. Mm-hmm. Um, and But the other thing, too, is there's got to be just an education component. It's not simply a, uh, I come in and, and rifle through your stuff and see what you're up to. you got to sit down and talk to them as well and, and tell them to be safe and be careful and be, be smart. You know, uh, A photo taken uh, and sent out to someone else has a life of its own. You don't know where it's going. Um, it may be benign. It may go nowhere. The person on the receiving end may uh, have your best interests at heart, but they may not. And so, you know, just that that conversation about being being very, very careful and, and using your head. But we're all talking about you know impulsive teenagers. And right. So it's yeah. it's a difficult difficult nut to crack.
1: Well, what is what are the biggest challenges you face as the district attorney?
0: Oh, I think right now um, the issues that are facing really every governmental organization, and that is. Uh, trying to balance uh, our responsibilities and what it is we're supposed to do, keep public safety, et cetera, uh, with the resources, the limited resources we have. Um, You know, I heard the other day we were talking about, before we went online, mentioned the coronavirus. I mean, one of the issues with the coronavirus is the lack of resources the World Health Organization has. Um, You know, when the entity that is put in charge of dealing with these sorts of things to preclude and try to prevent pandemics is underfunded. That has a consequence. Well, I'm not comparing the DA's office in Wichita to the World Health Organization, but you know, everybody, every organization, every governmental organization needs fi- finances to to do its job. Uh, and at the same time, the citizens don't want to pay you know taxes through the nose. And so we have to try to do our do our best with the resources we have. But um, trying to keep good people. I mean, I, we've ha- we've had a lot of turnover in the office the last year or so. And, frankly, it has to do with people – we're not talking about kids who are coming in for, you know, two or three years out of law school. We're talking people who have been doing it 10, 20, 25 years saying, I just – I'm burnt out. I'm tired uh, of doing this day after day. And well, so that's, that's tough to, to keep, you know, keep morale high and keep people going.
1: Well, Ray, thank you for your time. We're out of time. Our guest, Sedgwick County District Attorney Mark Bennett. And that's all for this edition of Issues 2020. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.